Welcome to the REI Mastermind Network, where host Jack Haas gathers amazing stories from leaders in real estate investing. In each episode, our guests will tell you what they're doing that works, what they've tried that failed, and best of all, you'll learn actionable steps to take your real estate investing to the next level. Now, here's Jack with another value-packed episode. We have Lazaro Vento on the call. Lazaro, I really appreciate your time. And we're going to cover quite a bit of ground here because Lazaro has one of the, I'm going to guess it's got to be one of the biggest Airbnb performing companies that I've run into so far on this show anyway. Um, and uh, we're going to talk about some ins and outs, but we're going to really start things off with giving everybody your contact information. You're pretty active on Instagram. So uh, look for Brickle, Brickle Cigars. Brickle. And I'm going to put a link in the show notes so people have an easy access to this because uh, there's a story behind this and uh, we're probably going to kick things off right there because it's pretty interesting. We were chatting a little bit before the show began and uh, it sounded like this was a failed business that you kind of had a rough go of it. Yeah, you know, when when I was 23, I started working uh, for Rolls Royce of North America, like I told you, and that's a real corporate type job. Uh, you know, I, I'm a, I was a young guy from not the best upbringing, and I got kind of lucky to get this one job. You know, they, somebody had actually passed away, and <laughs> they put out an ad, and and I had kind of like what they were looking for at that moment, which was they were looking for a, a younger person that spoke Spanish that was trainable is basically all they, all they wanted. And, and, you know, you had to be able to wear the suit and, you know, that's, they wanted somebody that could present well. And I, I, I was the guy they wanted and they wound up spending money and training me. And, and I had a, a successful go at it, you know, with, with Rolls-Royce and with BMW, uh, became number three uh, salesperson in the world <laughs> as far as uh, BMW sales, like number eight in Rolls-Royce sales in the world. And it was a good life. I mean, to make 400000 a year, <laughs> be a young guy in Miami, I couldn't complain. But, you know, once I, I got into my 30s, I started getting kind of disillusioned with like uh, the reality of it that, you know, I, I was probably going to do that for another 30 years. And, you know, and, you know, maybe work there till the day I die, like the rest of the guys that were working with me. So I started reading books. And like one of the books I read was The Four Hour Work Week by Timothy Ferris. And, you got it sitting right back there. Well, yeah, yeah on the well, very that, left side there. Well, that, that book actually kind of almost, well, people thought it gave me like a nervous breakdown or something. Because, you know, you know that part in the book when they say, you know, uh, talks about well what's like the worst nightmare you know like living out your worst nightmare what's the worst that could happen and you know I kept thinking about it and I'm like well you know like that lawyer story in the book uh you know I could always go back to this job is what I thought so you know uh, or somebody will hire me I have a good resume so I, I decided you know uh, I'm just gonna quit my job and I, I didn't know what I was gonna do really uh, but I used to like, well, I still do. I like smoking cigars. And I said, well, maybe I'll open a cigar company and maybe that'll be something where it'll give me some freedom and I don't have to be here. So I, I opened this uh, cigar business without much knowledge of how the cigar industry works, other than the fact that I like smoking cigars. And I had some, I had some success before opening the cigar shop. I, I had 
some success because I, I did online sales for Rolls Royce and I started like an online like uh, humidor store and I, we, we started doing really well with that. So and that's one of the reasons why I quit my job thinking, well, we're, we're having a cigar store should be just as profitable, if not more. <laughs> and, uh, and we opened this place up and, you know, it was an expensive build out and Long story short, in two and a half years, I went through my life savings and I wound up evicted from my house. All my cars got repossessed and I, I lost everything because of this cigar shop. Um, but what was interesting is while I was there, uh, one of my well, one of my only clients, really, he was my best client, but he was one of like my only clients that would go to my cigar shop. It's a young guy from Indiana. And he started coming around and, you know, he saw that, uh, you know, my life was kind of falling apart. And but he knew I had my real estate license. He was moving from Indiana, so he, you know, to kind of throw me a bone, he he needed to get a property here in Florida, and we were going through it, and we finally found this this two family property in kind of a back then it was a pretty bad neighborhood, uh, but it was a nice house. It was a two family uh, property, two two houses on one lot, and you know it was kind of rough, and I. You know, I, I started asking him, you know, why do you want to do this deal? I mean, like, we're, we're you know, you're my friend and I know I need the money <laughs> to get this commission. But I got to tell you, I mean, the tenants you're going to get here are not going to be the best. This is a bad neighborhood. And that's why he told me, well, I'm not planning on getting any tenants. I'm going to put this property on this thing called Airbnb. And I'm like, well, what? what the hell what the hell's airbnb and he's like well it's just i've been he's a young guy back then and he's like well i've traveled he was a real early adapter he had traveled all over the world using airbnb like vietnam and all these other all these exotic places so he kind of like had the full rundown on how the airbnb business worked and he kind of told me and i was like I really people are willing to like stay in a house and in, in like a bad neighborhood like this. And he's like, well, I'm going to clean it up and you'll see. And that kind of resonated with me. And I did a little research and I, I remember I looked up, I did a quick Google search while we were after talking to him and, and I find this guy in New York. And at that point he was one of the first Airbnb millionaires. And he, it was the article was like on Forbes or something. Hey, the guy was making like a million dollars a year. And I, I said to myself, well, I mean, this guy's making a million bucks. I got no money. <laughs> my, my buddy Fred, he's, he's got some money, so he must know what he's doing. At that point, my credit had gotten kind of a little jacked up. So before anybody had like really like talked about like arbitrage, like is what I do now, I don't own any of the property. I rent them out. I said, well, let me see if there's any houses kind of like what my buddy Fred was doing, which was like a, like two houses on one lot uh, on the MLS for rent with that same structure. And well, didn't you know it? Like there was actually several available on the MLS in that same neighborhood that fit the criteria. And uh, I finally wound up doing the deal with him. So like I got his commission and a couple grand that I borrowed. And I, we, me and my wife, we leased this place, which was like a nice, nice house with a little guest house in the back. And we, we were doing kind of house hacking before it was actually even like a, like a term. Uh, so I, I went out and we didn't have much money. So we kind of like bootstrapped it a little well, bootstrapped it all the way. Really. We, uh, Craigslist free and everything we could to like furnish this guest house. And within like 15 minutes of listing it, I, I made a reservation that was a thousand dollars more than my total expenses for the whole property. <laughs> so I was like, wow, you know, that's, it's a lot more profitable than selling cigars. <laughs> I'll tell you what. So, um, 
at that point, I was like, well, maybe, maybe there's something to this. I mean, but I still kind of thought this Airbnb thing was just a way for me to buy time to make my cigar shop survive. But over over time, it just uh, the cigar shop kind of died and I kept just getting more real estate. So right right away, like a, about a month into it, like my, the house right next door to my house wound up having a for rent sign. And I didn't have any money, but I still decided to call the number anyways. So this is like one thing I, I tell a lot of my students is like it never hurts to make a phone call. So like I called this one guy and he wound up actually being one of my best landlords. Um I called him up and I knew I didn't have any money, but we struck kind of a conversation because he was actually a big BMW fan. And since I know everything about BMWs, we kind of like had a two hour conversation. He decided to come out and meet me and we met him at the property and he like the house actually had already been rented by somebody else. And he, uh, he still kind of like hung out and we talked about Airbnb and what I wanted to do. And he told me, well, if anything changes, I'll let you know. And what did you know it about a week later, something changed. And uh, the person who had rented his guest house, they just weren't happy or whatever. And he calls me up and he tells me, you want to take the guest house? And, you know, so I still don't have any money. And he's like, well, uh, it sounded like you, you, you got something going with that Airbnb thing. So if you, you take it and if you pay me in a week or two, you could have it and, uh, you know, you could do your business. And that's how I got my second property. And with with him, I, I wound up getting more, many more properties because it turned out that he owned like 50 or 60 houses in that neighborhood. So he became kind of like a like a strong lead source for so anytime like he had a, a unit that was emptying out, he would always call me up and tell me, hey, you, you want to check this out? Do you think this will work for your Airbnb business? And, you know, if it did, we would uh, work out a deal. And, and he helped me grow my company substantially. And from there, I started like uh, doing more like creative, like house hacking uh, type scenarios because I was trying to fund like to grow my enterprise. So like, that's another thing I tell my students, like you know, a lot of them are like, well, I don't have any money. Well, I, I didn't have any money either. So what I would do, like we, we realized that there was like a gap in the market between what properties rent for on Airbnb in certain neighborhoods and, and other places in Florida. So that, that house, like on a good weekend, I could get a thousand dollars a night for it, the house that I was living in. So I would like, we may have, we set it up so we could like leave at a moment's notice if somebody booked the place. And then we would just take a little road trip and stay somewhere else. that was a hundred bucks a night and we would make the $900 difference. And we kept doing that over and over. And with that, that's how we funded the entire, like, uh, beginning of our operation by just doing this uh, this arbitrage of like uh, the difference in the nightly rates in my neighborhood versus like an, like a, like an hour away. So it was that was a good way to like fund the whole operation and, and grow our business in the beginning. And as we were doing that, we wound up do, thinking about more creative ways of doing the Airbnb business. So we started like. Uh, tiny houses. I don't know if you know about tiny houses and RVs and all this stuff. So I was like, kind of one of the first people I said, well, like this one property has some land on it. And I think nobody will care if I put a tiny house and I didn't, I still didn't have a lot of money. So I just started like, I put like an alert. If any like tiny house came up for sheep on uh, Facebook marketplace, <laughs> like uh, it'll pop up. And one day one did, and it was like uh, 6,000 or $7,000 
uh, which was a substantial bargain since those things usually cost like 40 grand. And it had turned out like this, this lady who's she's a fairly famous actress had bought like an investment property in Hollywood, Florida. And this thing was just sitting there and she didn't really know what to do with it. And when I showed up, I, I basically told her, you know, I called her. It was a little bit beat up, but I, I knew between me and a few friends, we could kind of uh, make it work for Airbnb. So, you know, I told her, you know, I'll give you $1,500. That's all I have. And she was like, all right, <laughs> as long as you can get it out of here. And uh, we put this thing on, on the $100 investment. And But what's really interesting about buying that tiny house and what happened is the people that I was meeting were like some very interesting people. And that's how I actually wound up meeting my business partner in my bigger company now. So him and another guy, there at this point i became kind of like this i thought i was kind of some like guru just hanging out at my house uh meeting all these different travelers from all over the world and these two guys were like right up my alley they had just uh they had just been living in china for uh three years and you know kind of like backpacking the world and uh they were doing airbnb and they had had got an apartment in in china and they were doing airbnb in tents on top of the roof of the (laughs) of the apartment building so these guys were right up my alley and uh they they showed up and they rented my tiny house uh, the the day they came from china and we kind of struck up like a relationship right there and one of them had got his real estate license somehow and i'm like well i i need somebody to represent me and i think you'd be the perfect person to help me like i want to scale my company and i want to get more more apartments at that point i already had like a little bit of a war chest to get more apartments and and he was like well i want to do airbnb too and i'm like well like, why don't we just like you'll, you'll act like my realtor and we'll just go out and take these deals down i like i have like like a plan and i had found this one building that had a bunch of apartments that nobody was like very few people were taking advantage of the gap in the market there. And I told them, well, with what I have, I could probably rent like 14 apartments if they let us. So until they stop us, let's see what happens. So we just started like, I just started renting as many as I could. Like the, nobody had ever approached the owners in this building. And it, it was completely allowed because there's a condo hotel. Nobody really had approached them with the idea. And all they cared about is getting rent. So I was like, well, we're going to put your property in Airbnb. And they're like, well, are you going to pay the rent? And I'm gonna, I'm also going to give you first, last, and security too. And I'll never call you again for any maintenance. We're going to take care of everything for you. And the owners will be like, yes, <laughs> that's what I want. And I'm like, well, that's the winning formula. We tell them that every single time and we will get as many units as. So I wind up like running out of money. And then he saw that it was like working for me. So he's like, well, we have all these other owners that want to do it. So I'll take the rest. And we wound up like between the two of us taking the like, 30 or 40 apartments in this one community. And we then developed like a business uh, of just doing that there and getting more and more units. And after like two years of doing that, we, we, we felt that we were ready to like really scale our enterprise up. And we decided that we wanted to like maybe take down like a small building or, or something. And we were just kind of like, Kicking out, kicking around the idea. Maybe if we do like a 30 unit deal or a 20 unit deal together, we have enough money to do it. And that's when we were like, one day we're just having tacos and like this taco shop by the river. And I look up and there's like this sign in this new building. It says four months free rent. And I'm like, that's the building. What do you mean? Yeah, those guys have to be desperate, like billion dollar company on this project. And uh, we finally just meet with the guy who who owns the, the project who's like, 
a billionaire and he's like, well, what do you guys think you could pay the rent? I mean, it's going to be 140,000 a month. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, we could do it. And he's like, and he said, all right, you guys got the deal. Yeah, forget Saunders. And I'm like, and we're like, what did we get ourselves into here? And it, it, it wound up being like we always talked about. Uh, it wound up being kind of, we thought it would be like Firefest. I don't know if you know what Firefest is. It's like a festival that went like haywire in, in like one of the islands. One of these famous people did it. And like they just ran out of money. And we thought that that's what would happen. Because all of a sudden we were trying to take like a, what I didn't tell you was we were trying to take like maybe 20 units, but the deal, they wanted us to take like the, the pretty much an entire community, which like 52 apartments, gyms, like lobbies and all kinds of things that we had no idea what we were doing, but we figured we, we, we give it a shot and it, it definitely worked out. I mean, uh, they, we, we negotiated a way where first of all, we if we got the building we would run out of money we couldn't pay the rent if we didn't get the units rented so we had to negotiate some free time in the deal and the the secret was we had to like furnish the places as quickly as possible so and during that free time we would raise enough money to pay the first month's rent we got pretty creative and we were able to furnish the entire building in like two and a half weeks and it was just in time for spring break and uh, the ultra music conference and all these other things were going on so we knew that we could make like half a million dollars that weekend so it was like if we could if we could get this place ready it, it would work and that will be fire fest and it worked out and we we wound up uh doing the doing the deal and it being successful in that in that uh transaction so boy that was there was a lot of stuff there yeah did you what how many units are you operating now then right now i'm about 130 okay 40 um, do you still have that 50 some units that you have that newer building, building? That building actually during COVID, uh, the developer decided they no longer wanted to do short-term rentals and they paid us a quarter million dollars to move out. So it was and a, there was a win there too, huh? There was a win. Uh, they just could no longer, they were scared of like shutdowns and legalities mm-hmm. and things like that. So uh, we had like, what was funny was because this, this one developer, he had gotten into short-term rentals with a lot of bigger companies in other communities. And at the end of the day, me and, me and my partner were like the only ones that since we weren't, we didn't have that much fat on us as far as a company. So when things went bad, we were still able to pay the rent and all these other bigger operations there, you know, they, they have all these kind of bills and hundred employees. So they couldn't pay him the rent. So we were like the last man standing. And he, he, he said, well, I mean, you guys did exactly what you told us from the beginning. You always paid your rent and we just can't do it anymore. So we'll give you this money to move out. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure you guys will be successful somewhere else once the pandemic is over. And that's kind of what happened. It, it kind of, you know, scaled our operation down to nearly nothing. And we were able to get back up to 120 units out right after the pandemic, because uh, we really knew how to do it and we had the funds. So, so, so during that was going to be the one of the questions I asked is that during the pandemic, you just simply didn't renew your rentals are, I suppose, at that point, let well, it scale down and then scale it up when you, when you could again. Well, basically we wanted, we could have probably continued the, that operation, but 
because of the city shutdowns, like those bigger buildings like that, then the building would become like a target for litigation. So they just couldn't take the risk. So they actually broke the lease. So sure. Uh, no, what about, biggest... but how about you? Like, what do you, how did you manage during the pandemic? I suppose well, that you were in Florida, right? I, you probably weren't locked down as, as much as some of the other states. But. Yeah. I mean, the whole, the whole thing is that there was, some pretty harsh shutdowns here in Florida when it came to like vacation rentals. So ma- basically most of my leases like uh, got, uh, you know, they, they, the, they, the landlords backed out of my leases. They like any major developer just backed out of the leases on us. Mm-hmm. And it, I wound up staying with like my, my 12, like smaller develop, but not even developers, landlords that, you know, they didn't really have that level of exposure. So I kept those, those apartments. And that was kind of like my income during the, the pandemic. And, but I timed it. We, we actually timed it pretty well. Like I remember when like August came around, I was like, well, I think it's time we need to start like hunting for apartments. Like now it's like, it seems like a lot of people went under and, and there's probably opportunity if we're willing to lose money for a few months. So I wound up taking down a, a, some pretty like big deals. The first one was like a, like a boutique hotel in the design district in Miami. I wound up renting the entire hotel uh, from the developer and I knew I would lose money for a couple months, but if, uh, if we could make it past like December, I knew it would be very profitable. And that bet worked out pretty well. And I, you know, I, I started looking in other neighborhoods that I hadn't looked up in the past, like in Little Havana, which I wound up partnering with another developer there. And he gave me 30 apartments. And now where I'm at now, I'm in Tampa, where I've, I've been able to take, uh, we're in the process of finishing up a 30 unit uh, uh, build out here. And we finished another 15 before this one. So there's certainly quite a bit of opportunity. So just a reminder for everybody, head over to Brickle Cigars on Instagram to follow along. Uh, yeah, I just glanced at your Instagram. You do have quite a few followers there and it uh, looks like quite a bit of good content. So definitely a place for people to follow you. Yeah. And, you know, that's where a lot of my students are, are on there. And, you know, we a few months ago, like seven months ago, I started doing like a training on how to, how to do what I'm doing, how to, how to set up short-term rentals. And I have a mentorship and we also do exotic car rentals, which is another uh, arbitrage play where you, you could buy a good number of vehicles and rent them on, on Turo, which is kind of the Airbnb for vehicles. Mm-hmm. So uh, it sounds like, you know, you're one of the few people that I've run into that have done this Airbnb thing and it, and you actually rent houses and apartments and then in turn do the Airbnb thing. A lot of the people I've talked to up until now have bought the properties and do what you're doing. Well, I mean, the ROI, like an arbitrage is much better. Like I, I think long-term owning uh, is a great play because you have obviously tax advantages and you're building up equity. Like what I'm doing now doesn't really build any equity for me. I'm, I'm just taking the cash flow. Uh, so there. There is a, something to be said about owning the property. And now we're, we're starting to buy some of them, but we're still mainly uh, arbitrage because, uh, you know, I, I couldn't go out and buy a, a $30 million building, you know? And basically that's what, what we wind up doing uh, is taking like a $30 million asset. And like we took 15 units in Tampa, which if we bought that 15 units, 
on the on the low end that would be nine million dollars and basically i think we all we had to give the the building was 15 grand or something to take possession so like uh it's uh it's it's tough to fathom you know that like uh, what it would take to to buy that asset you know it would take forever to make the make the roi on something like that work so is there anything that a person would typically have to keep an eye on though like uh, you know i i know that there's some rental agreements that might not be very allow this type of thing do you do you uh vet those out a little bit how do how does that look well, I mean, what we what we do is we only we only are communities that want us there. So when I when I get to a community, I'm well, it's pretty easy to Google me. I know what I'm into. So, like, I let them know right up front. Look, we do short term rentals, and we we work with the development. Let's say this development only wants they'll do short term, but they only want up, like they don't do anything under thirty days. That's still short term. So we'll we'll cater to that. And we'll work sure. within their their rule set to make it work. Now, some developments will be like, "Hey, there's no uh, there's no restrictions," uh, but you need to like make sure you vet your customers and and and, and do a certain number of things. And uh, they know that we could comply with those rules. Plus, we use a lot of technology to keep people behaving because we don't want people throwing parties or, or trashing apartments. So. We use like noise monitors and cell phone counters and all kinds of things in our communities to uh, to do this safely, to be able to do it on a professional level. You need to have all that technology in place. And that's the only way you could actually police an operation like that. And you keep saying the word communities. Are you typically vying for places that you can get more than one unit? Yeah. 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 Like my, my specialty is doing multiple unit deals. Uh like well, the moment I did the 50 unit deal, I realized that that, that scale is where you make the most, most dollars because you're multiplying it. You're multiplying your expenses times 52, but you're also multiplying your profits times 52. So once you learn how to, how to, how that formula works and how to put those deals together, uh, I, I, I try to take down like bigger deals, uh, you know, a, a small deal is maybe like a 10 unit and like a, a really big deal is like 30 plus, you know, those are the type of, of deals we're looking for, for, for the most part. Sure. Have you found that uh, you, you talk about you're, you're pretty much with, or you kind of stuck with some of your smaller investors or properties at this at, at during the pandemic, is it typically easier to get those type of units and with the, one-off investors or, or some of the larger corporations? Well, you, in the beginning, uh, I always tell my students to try to go for the smaller investors because if you don't have the track record, a big company is going to look at you and say, well, you know, we can't give you 15 apartments. You've never done this before. Uh, when a smaller investor that maybe owns like a four-unit building or something, and if, if they like you, like it's more of a relationship play there, they'll be like, well, you seem like the like, you know what you're doing and they'll, they'll give you a shot. So, you know, anybody starting out, that's where I always tell them to, to, to gear towards. Sure. So you, you, like I mentioned before, you use the word communities a lot. Is there uh, some other things outside of furnishing the apartments to make it uh, feel like a community that you're, you're trying to foster and, and attract well, people? I, when we talk about communities, we talk about like the way we, we run a, a whole entire business. When you have a community, you you have an office there, you have your staff there, and that's how you actually grow around that and you're able to control the whole operation. So that's why communities are always best. 
if you're trying to do like a scale, a scalable business like this. I would imagine that one benefit of having that many units in, in one given spot too is the turnover because, you know, I've, I've tried to do this type of thing locally in my market. And frankly, I haven't been able to really get the numbers to work, but you, we're, you're dealing with one house out in the middle of nowhere. And uh, when you have uh, somebody coming and going, the, just turning it over, I lose my any kind of profit I'd have. That's the, and that's where the key of profitability actually is in this business is in the cleaning. You have to actually own the cleaning company in order to make the scale work. So when you have a whole bunch of units, you hire your own housekeeping, your own security team, you hire everybody in-house, you pay them hourly and you're not paying. Like what you're doing is you're paying gig workers or uh, like individual housekeepers to then uh, do the housekeeping for you. And that, that erodes your whole profit margin because they're, they'll charge you 300 bucks or something to clean a house or 200 bucks. When if I have a $20 an hour housekeeper do it in two hours or three hours, I only pay them $60, you know, then it works and the numbers make sense. Can you talk a little bit about the technology and, and processes and procedures that you have in place then to manage a, uh, a business of this size? I mean, that's a lot of people coming and going and turning over units. And I mean, there's got to be a lot to keep track of and stay in front of. Uh, yeah. You know, we use a, we use a really like a hotel style, uh, what they call a channel managing software that kind of connects all our properties together with all the different platforms that are out there. And we use an automation tool that handles most of the heavy lifting when it comes to messaging. And then basically we're all, the, the humans are only like fielding like one-off requests, you know? So if you're using a, a tool that like, you know, there's common questions that people always ask and, and the automation tool could answer them. Uh, like what's the Wi-Fi? And it, it, it knows it reads it from the listing and just shoots it out. Or where's my parking space? That's, that's like, so then uh, like people are only handling uh, just the one-off requests. Sure. So you said you have like 120, 130 units right now. How many people do you have working to maintain this? It's mainly housekeeping staff. Like, just so you know, we're a family business. So me, my wife, my son, uh, we like my son does customer service. My wife handles like our housekeeping team and I handle acquisitions. <laughs> so, and after that, like we just have uh, like 12 housekeepers working for us uh, doing cleaning. Sure. Yeah. And this is always really interesting. Like, so if somebody was interested in getting into Airbnb and using the same uh, process that you're suggesting today, where do you, where would you suggest they start? I mean, there's a lot of information online. I mean, I, I would first see if that's some like research your market, see what like the very best thing to look at is Airbnb. Like you go on Airbnb, see if your market is, is, is is a place where you could target those type of returns. And you'll be able to see that because the host around you uh, will have a lot of bookings on their calendar and it's easy enough to tell. Uh, that's that's the first place to look. And then, you know, I, I will go on uh, YouTube or Instagram, maybe go on my Instagram and we're always talking about, you know, the different steps. Uh, the, the key to do it is the furnishing and furnishing it in an affordable manner that looks good and, uh, appealing to the like mass appeal of customers. Sure. Well, I, you know, I, I told you I was only going to maybe take about a half hour of your time here today. So there, I really appreciate your time. 
Um, with that being said, is there a question or a topic that you wish we would have covered here yet today? Well, I, I think uh, we covered most mostly everything. I mean, you know, I think uh, we should want to talk more about the vehicles. I mean, I think that's, uh, that's well, that's, yeah, that is. I guess I don't <laughs> typically talk about them because, frankly, it's a topic I really don't know a lot about. And then the other thing is, is that, you know, it's not real estate, but, you know, the, the vehicles is kind of an interesting play. And are they mostly luxury vehicles? They are mostly luxury vehicles. And the, the great thing about it is we we partner it up so we, with, with our Airbnb business. So a lot of our guests are renting a car along with their stay. So it, it helps our profit margin. And it, it's also a convenient way for guests to have a car waiting for them when they when they rent an Airbnb, which is something kind of unique in the marketplace is just to be able to offer that to people. So when you say luxury cars, what type of cars are you typically, is it the BMWs and the Rolls Royces or is it? A little bit of everything. We have Audis, I have a Ferrari, you know, I have two G wagons and a bunch of Jeeps. People really love Jeeps in Miami for, for sure. Oh, sure. So do you have to turn those over just like a, like an apartment, you know, clean them and every, every time, like when somebody's done with them? Pretty much, pretty much kind of the same thing. And, uh, you know, I, I, the same way I set up a staff for my housekeeping, I set up a, a, a vehicle staff. <laughs> so they, they operate the same way. Uh, so I have, you know, I don't have much involvement in, in uh, you know, the day-to-day operations of the cars. And it's a great way to own like a, you know, it's, a, it's another arbitrage of owning like luxury cars and having somebody else pay for them. Yeah. That is an interesting concept. I mean, I, I, I kind of, it was on my radar. It's something I knew about, but I didn't realize that somebody made, uh, made it a part of the business. And it kind of does make sense to pair it with, with uh, the Airbnb thing. It's worked out pretty well and uh, gives me a chance to drive some pretty nice cars. And that, you know, like even the months when I don't make a lot of money, I still get to drive a nice car. So I don't feel too bad about it. <laughs> so is that what you're in right now? You, one year, yeah, this, one is, year? this is one of my G wagons. So, well, I really appreciate your time again. Uh, you can find him and follow him at Brickle cigars on Instagram. I'll make sure to have that link in the show notes. Yeah. But the uh, company is happy travels Miami and you probably can find uh, uh, Lazaro on the, uh, on Airbnb. I'm sure you can find you on that. Is it under happy? Travels well, Miami. I have a few accounts on Airbnb. So if you go on my uh, on Burkle Cigars on on Instagram, the link for my Airbnb accounts is there in my link tree. You can see all my properties, and we'll gladly rent you some. So if people wanted to learn how to do this, you you've mentioned your students a few times. Is that where through Instagram the best way to reach out to you to to maybe get some help? Yeah, if you go to Instagram, you'll be able to see uh, all all my different courses and different masterminds and different uh, things that we offer for, for our students. Well, I really appreciate your time. This was great. And I uh, hope you'll uh, join me again sometime. All right. It was a pleasure. If you learned at least one actionable step to incorporate into your real estate investing, if so, please consider returning some of that value by leaving a positive review, subscribing to our YouTube channel, or joining our growing network on Facebook and Twitter. You can find links to all of our social media accounts in the show notes. See you next time.